interesting. I mean, you got we got to know about some Genesis, and I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. Right now. <laughs> hey, that's a triple play. New episodes of Kenway. Yeah. yeah. Open your mind at the first gate. Press play. No need to debate. Hey, Check me out. Yeah. Clocked in, you could catch the hype. Golden dawn, how we follow the light. Anime like life. Uh, married to it, my wife. Uh, what is going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages? Welcome back to the AOA show. I'm your host, as always, Ian, along with the boys, Isaiah. Oh, hi, yo. And Gavin. What is Gucci Shoes? <laughs> and today we're hitting you with some more Tower of God content, this time going over episodes 38 to 48 of season three. Uh, you post your questions in Discord, and we are here to answer them today. The top seven upvoted questions we're going to answer them really excited because some of these hit pretty deep so uh we're gonna have to break these down one at a time here once you see these there's some pretty in-depth questions so thank you to everyone who is in our discord a and b asked a question and participated it really makes our job that much easier and hopefully you guys enjoy it if you haven't checked it out already you definitely want to go check out our live stream live read through of these episodes in question the way to do that is to hit us up on the aoa reacts channel the link is in the description down below so you can catch that and all of the previous live read-throughs of Tower of God and all of our reactions in general. Uh, we're going to try something new today, and that's going to be reading the comment of the day in the beginning of the episode. For those of you who never make it to the end, maybe now that'll kick you a little bit more to incentivize you to uh, make it till the end of the video so that you might get shouted out in our next one. So... The comment of the day today, if somebody wants to read it off, actually. Uh, this one comes to us from Riru. Uh, she says, the last clone, uh, last of White's clones is Albita, which was the question, so correct. Uh, I kind of prefer that we're getting all these reoccurring season two characters coming back as uh, to act as a point of conflict to the main cast outside of BAM. I feel it's more interesting that ju than just having those conflicts arrive from random arc of the day canine people. I think it's more... Uh, I think it's more that SIU doesn't really go out of his way to show how these reoccurring characters have grown in order to get so far, or in order to get so far, that's the issue. So she's talking about last week, uh, one of my complaints about Michael was that, like, I don't really get how this dude, like, made it to where he is in terms of the, what, 52nd floors or, or 50, um, how he made it this far, like, with, but on his own or with him and Apple. And I was like, okay, sure. If he's with Fug and maybe, um, you know, the person who we believe to be Arc Raptor's daughter, like just sort of carried them up or like war ghost or whatever. But I'm like, I don't know. I just didn't buy it. And so she's commenting that like, she prefers, I guess that method as opposed to like, if that same conflict character had been like, you know, X canine person or X person from whatever arc we're in, um, which makes sense. But I, I, th I do think we, both ultimately agree that it's it's the like the non the non thorough of an explanation as to like how Michael and what like why he's here is is what you know at least what bugged me about it initially but yeah. fair enough well anyway Riru thank you for commenting watching till the end of the video and being an amazing fan as always so if you want to get your comment read on our next TOG discussion stay tuned till the end of the video where we will pose a question you can answer it in the comments and then write your comment and that's how you'll get put into the running but for now, we're going to get into this actual video. So, Gavin, if you would be so kind as to read off the first question for us. Okay, number one comes from no one other than Irene Sharda. Thank you so much for your comment and all the comments that you do post to us. And it states, 
we see that the boss talks to both Cha and um, Duan and tells them similar and yet different things. To Duan, he tells her that the boy will spark a war, while to Cha, he says the boy would make his wish come true. Do you think if the boss had framed his? Do you think if the boss had framed his words differently? Uh, Duan might have reacted differently to Bam's arrival. 110%. This kind of went in as we were talking about it. Um, I feel like the boss in question obviously knows what he is doing and talking to these people and has his own um, agenda on the back burner. Whether to what that is, I don't know specifically. However, I think it is... Um, I think what his agenda might be leaning toward is specifically Cha and um, Duan's relationship because we do know that Cha has feelings for uh, Duan and Duan reciprocates them to an extent. Or I mean, she states that she does. She does. They fucking love each other. So <laughs> if and and, and and that's what I'm getting at. If together, <laughs> if they come together. And, you know, seemingly they were both against Jihad. That's this, this predates the whole Genesis, and we, we got that backstory. But if they come together and they're on the same side and they both favor Bam and they try, you know, and they're both on Bam's side, that can cause trouble later down the rings with Jihad. Not saying that they would, like, do anything, but it, it, it's a problem. So I do think with the interaction the boss had with them, he wanted their relationship to clash and for them to be on different sides of the aisle. And that's essentially what is happening to them. Do Duan is literally going to Jihad's army and is like, that's not saying she's assimilating with them and is like, oh, King Jihad, blah, blah, blah. Like, obviously she holds her restraints and says that, you know, Caliban could ice everyone here right now. I'm also doing it kind of as a safe, you know, keeping. However, the fact that she is open-minded to that and isn't as closed door and, I mean, all in all, going back to this question, I do think that the boss frames this in a way to separate them from their relationship. And I think that has more inner workings to the story in terms of, you know, getting he, he, he wants these uh, cards to land the way that they are in terms of Cha going to Bam and um, Duan being separated and going to Jihad's army because it's not like Cha is going to be able to now roll up and speak to Duan because she's already with Caliban. So, you know, I can't picture them now talking and communicating. It's also going to give Cha a reason to now want to go after Jihad's army and do that. So the bo like there, there's many perspectives the boss I feel like can be using and that's why I don't know what he really wants at the end of the day because he could be using this to force a fight because Cha would have a heavy hand and now wanting to go against Jihad and to get uh, Duan. And even though that goes against everything Duan wants, he, I feel like he's the type of person who's just going to go after her, especially after waking up and everything going on. So it's like, he, he like you can, you can take the scenario and use it in different ways. So I don't know if it's necessarily for Bam to help them and to push something or if it's against Bam to try to make, you know, a seemingly situation where they would get two people and they would have a plus and it's not really like a detractor in a sense. If, if it is what I'm saying, like coming across, like it can be both a positive and a negative, and I don't know which way um, this boss person is using it as. Um, and I feel like it could go either way, depending on, you know, what really who else he's talking to and messing with and manipulating and what his plan is at the end of the day, which I'm hoping we get soon. Um, but yes, that is my uh, two cents on the matter. It, it makes sense what you're saying. At the end of the day, and really my only two cents really is that whoever this boss captain is, um, is someone that has their own agenda and is a trickster, uh, kind of like this low key persona. It kind of reminded me of, and he, at the end of the day is, is putting these chess pieces on the board in a certain sequence. At least he hopes to try and get a certain outcome. So 
hopefully it's positive, obviously, for the heroes of her story and for us and all that jazz, but it's really up to his discretion. I don't know what his main goal is, if he is, uh, and I think we have a question on him specifically later, so I don't know what the goal is there, but the guy's definitely a uh, a trickster in some way, shape, or form, or if not a trickster, he's a... He's very good at manipulating his words or, or, you know, keying in on people's emotions and kind of getting them to work with what he wants them to work with. So that's really my only thoughts on the matter. Um, yeah, mostly the same stuff. Um, I do also think that if he had worded or framed his, his words differently, um, would have had a different outcome because I do think it's intentional. Um, yeah, whoever this person is clearly wants chaos or I think wants to start a war or at the very least is in favor of this war that has been brewing for a while um, because there's nothing to be gained from having somebody side with Bam and side against him mm-hmm. other than that right if they were both on Bam because it's if they're both they're both proclaimed to be these heroes of Genesis so if they're both whoever side they're both on probably has a leg up in this war but if yeah. you divide them if you split them amongst the two sides now we have conflict now we have an even ground to fight so clearly I, I believe that's what they're ultimate goal is Mm. yeah interesting stuff all right so moving on to question two we have by gaming creep which i believe is a new name so thank you very much for the question gaming creep asks i've been meaning to ask this question for a while now so here it goes what do you think about bomb keeping the name that was given to him by rachel instead instead or the name given to him by fug which is the name his parents wanted for him what name do you think he should go with or maybe now that he's becoming his own person he should think of his own name uh, so I actually think this is a pretty good question in general. And I th- and I wonder if Bomb becoming something completely different, but by his own will, will be the culmination of everything that Bomb is supposed to be in terms of his arc. Uh, that I don't know. I think it's a very interesting question because I you could argue that Bomb, you know, he could use either one. Because at first it's like, okay, well, Bomb, he's just been used to Bomb. That's his name, right? And that's what he knows. So that's what that's what he's used to. But there is a little bit of symbolism with the Jewel Viol Grace name as well. But there are connotations that come with it, right? It's he's Bomb is not this huge fan of Fug, even though he's working with them. And there are a lot of connotations that go along with that. And I think there were a lot of points within the story where he tries to rid himself of Jewel Viol Grace, and then comes to grips with uh, Jewel Viol Grace as a persona and understands him, and then says, "Okay, but I'm gonna shelve this." Etc. Um, but you know, I think Bomb, the the name of Bomb, might get that same sort of treatment going down the line, depending on how long the story goes, or if there's some other big revelation, or if something happens where Bomb wants to totally, totally come into his own. But I think there's another option, in that Bomb calling himself that um, isn't necessarily because Rachel named him that, and it's not, and he doesn't necessarily hold bomb the name bomb with a negative connotation like he did with jewel viol grace right where it's like oh this is the name rachel gave me i can't use this anymore i think that bomb (laughs) will have to ultimately decide what that name stands for so i think that could be another option as well but i'm curious to know your guys thoughts on this because i thought it was an interesting question uh it is a very interesting question um i think it it is so the whole thing with uh jewel viol grace it is or it would be nice, right, if he could, if he adopted that name sort of like in memoriam or in honor to his family, which, you know, if we're to believe that that's the name that his parents would have wanted for him. Um, but there is a lot of trauma that comes with that name from Bam's experience and just living life because that name is associated with an identity that he marks as 
you know, I would assume Marks is a pretty low point, probably the lowest point in his existence. Um, so he's probably not too keen on, you know, just psychologically and mentally, like what that name, like, you know, what Arlene and V intended that name to be for him, which was probably like this symbol of their, you know, of their pride and joy, so to speak, um, has actually weirdly, because of Fug, which makes it kind of ironic, been corrupted into this, like, you know, the opposite of that, where it's like, this is a name that I would assume Bam has a lot of hangups with. Um, so then, yeah, you, I would think, oh, Bam is kind of the obvious choice then, because it's away from that. And I do think it's interesting the question words it as like, oh, it's the name Rachel gave to him. And it's like, sure, that is a con you could associate with that name if you want to look at it that way, but it's also the name that he met Kuhn under. It's also the name he met Shibasu and Hot, and the name that he met Endorsey with and formed all these relationships that he has now and cares about very deeply more than anything. So I, I would argue that as if, if Rachel giving him that name is the only drawback, I think everything good that he's done and been given with that name sort of like outweighs that scale. Yeah. Where it's like Jewel Viola Grace kind of just has like a lot of trauma behind it and not a whole, the only, it's the opposite where it's like the only positive, at least for me that I see is that it's like, oh, well that's what your parents wanted to name you. And it's like, okay, cool. But like I sort of forged my life with the name bomb regardless of like where it came from. Mm, yeah. Mm. What do you think, Evan? No, no, very interesting. I actually, I agree with all those points. Um, I guess, uh, I'm probably going to look like an idiot if I'm actually just forgetting having a brain fart, but remind me if I'm not. Bam, when Rachel gave Bam that name, I mean, we haven't really learned the absolute significance of that, meaning, like, if we're assuming that someone had sent Rachel there under the pretext of finding this kid under a rock, you know, move X thing, you'll find this person. I'm wondering if that name was given to Rachel and the significance of said telling Rachel this person goes by the name of Bam. Like, I'm wondering if Rachel came up with it on the spot or if it was something predisposition that was written down from whoever had told her for whatever reason that he goes by this name being the 25th night. And I don't know if that was ever like alluded to for us or not really, but I feel like just the meaning of Bam also. Uh, I, I, I thought I, I could also be misremembering this, but I, I, I thought that the name that her giving him that name, it was like a reference to one of the stories that she used to tell him when uh -huh. they were in like the little like cave thing. Yeah. Um, and, and like that was, it was, you know, it was derivative of, I guess, either a story he liked or one mm -hmm. of her, you know what I mean? It was supposed to be like, Hearkening to that, but there wasn't like she just like chestnuts. <laughs> she just <laughs> likes chestnuts. Yeah. Okay. Then if that's the case, I don't know. I was just I was just wondering like if there was another significance that we have yet learned from Bam that maybe other than the story, mm -hmm. or maybe that direct story has a correlation to something in the future. So like Bam has more significance. Either way, um, I just think Bam sounds like a cooler name, so I'm like stick with that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair no, enough. no, but I no, I really I'm not beating any more points that they said. I agree with everything, mm -hmm. uh, all the points that you guys went on. So yes. All right. Is, cool. That is cool. The now we're getting into some of the meat. And Potatoes. Oh, meat potatoes. Yeah, this one's a biggie. Uh, we have it from Sad Sparkles. Thank you for the question. They say, isn't White just the best teacher ever, insulting and bragging about himself while still teaching important stuff? <laughs> um, <laughs> he is. <laughs> uh, okay, so the, the question question here. Um, he may be an arrogant and evil slayer, but except for his father and maybe some other area... Uh, REA, sorry, OGs, uh, he is the best at what he does, uh, and that includes, but is not limited to, slashing people and posing like the entire world is his runway. <laughs> so, what do you think about his words to Hots? Is it just another tower's harsh lessons harsh lessons that contrast with Hots' beliefs and will provide room for growth? Maybe White's just trying to justify himself. Or, 
What about his offer to Bam, who obviously isn't a fan of sacrificing others? Will he really teach him how to burn those souls? So just before you answer, sorry to cut you off, but there was a panel that they put with this specifically uh-huh. um, with White. Uh, I'm sure you remember, but just to just to rectify the for anyone who was uh, in not in the loop, it's it's that scene where he tells him he's like, you're basically a murderer if you take right. up yeah, swords, yeah, yeah, yeah. and if you're gonna be queasy with that, and then you should probably take up a different profession. But yeah, just yeah. sorry, anyway. Um, so, yeah, this was very interesting because I actually don't really think there's, like, a clear, like, either one of them is in the clear right or wrong. It kind of actually weirdly echoes, like, the core uh, battle of beliefs that's happening in the story with, like, Bam versus the Jihad's Empire or the Tower at large where it's, like, you know, take hots and uh, <laughs> How dare you take hots as a, as a representative of Bam, right? Hots has this very honoristic and this very noble... Uh, idea and understanding of like who he wants to be as a swordsman and what he believes being a swordsman is like there's there's this chivalry to it with him right where it's like it's not about just running out and slashing people with your sword like just because you can like there's a code there's an honor that has to be followed and if you don't do that you are disrespecting a swordsman what it means to 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 use a sword as a weapon and all this stuff um where you know when white is coming at it from like yeah, but at the end of the day, like, you have to kill people with that weapon. That is a weapon. That's what that sword is made to do. And if you try to hide it behind any of this sugar-coated honor stuff, you're going to end up hating or possibly resenting yourself. Because this mer- this stuff that I did here, like, someday on some scale, some version, like, you're going to have to do this. Like, that's what that weapon was made for. And, you know, like he said, if, if, you th- if this is what, if that makes you queasy about it, then, like, get another job. <laughs> um, and... I don't know. As much as I, I, I want to be like, oh, well, yeah, Hots is, is in the right because, you know, that's the noble stance to take. I don't really think White's wrong. Like, I, eventually, hot like, that that is what being, like, being a swordsman, I think the 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 honor traits that Hots associates with being a swordsman aren't necessarily equal to being a swordsman, but that is Hots as a Like, they're, they're more about Hots and less about being a swordsman. Because I think being a swordsman is just, quite frankly, pretty vague. Like, you that that is sort of describes what you do or how you fight, but not who you are, right? Like, Hots is an honorable person. He's an honorable fighter. That would come whether he was using a sword, his feet, his hands, like, his head. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. But, so, I don't know. Like, I feel like they're kind of coming at it from two different angles. Like, White's like, look, this is the cold, hard facts about the job. Like, what what we do, being a swordsman, how we fight. Um, And Hots is like, well, that's not all there is to it. And it's like, well, that is correct, but, like... I don't know. I feel like we're like like they're not they're not on the same page. You know what I mean? Like white isn't wrong, but there like could also be something to be said for white with the past that we know white has trying to justify sort of the monster that he's had to turn into, right? Whether it's uh, influence from his dad, from this the, the pack he made with this demon or devil uh, that we you know learned about a while back. White might I, I could see like a, a world where white the the things he said to Hots like might be things that are echoing out of him. You know what I mean? Like he might not necessarily looking back be the happiest with the person he's turned into, right? We, I mean, we know how much of who he is now stemmed from the sort of negative interactions and relationship he had with his father, and you know, subsequently having to make this pact with this demon or devil. Um, you know, I could see a part of white that's like. Like, this is it, plain and simple. This is the job. You have to do which, what we have to do. But it's like, okay, White, but are you saying that because you honestly, you know, truthfully believe that? Or, like, you need something to help take the load off you? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I don't know. This is really tough. I'm, uh, I will, I'll defer to you guys. What do you think, Evan? 
Oh, dude, it's rough. I'm like toiling. <laughs> no, because I'm toiling it with is. it. Because I, I agree to to a majority of the extent of what, what Isaiah was saying in terms of they're both right. They're they're both not necessarily wrong in many ways. And and for some reason, what comes to my mind when you know I read this question and was really thinking about it was um, uh, Vinland Saga and Thor. And you know, in spoiler alert, if nobody's seen it in the beginning watch of the it, first four so episode, good. watch it. But um, again, spoiler alert: when he dies, you know, upstanding. The fight, like the person that he yeah. is, and and the like, and that's where you get it. Where th- that's almost the perspective where it's like, you know, you could be noble and you know do the right thing and try to you know take the right moral code out of it. However, as you can see in that show, that doesn't mean that you're going to win. And you know that's the reality of this tower where it's you can be as noble and as praised and you know as righteous as you want to be. However, that is not going to mean that you are going to win or be right in every situation or keep on moving forward. Why does it sound weird? Hello, is my headset going weird? Either way, I don't care. Um, <laughs> but um, one I can plug it in. yeah, I don't. I don't know if my audio is cutting out or not. But um, yeah, and that's and that's what I'm deriving a lot from this. And and you know, obviously, being a swordsman, like Isaiah was saying, it is very vague. And you know, there is what you would want to be a right and a wrong, but not everybody is going to follow those same standards. So when push comes to shove, and you're going to have to do the dirty work, you need to be able to do the dirty work. And you know, it's pretty much saying to Hots like the ability to do that, and you know, going with White's whole past. So I think a lot of it is the harsh reality um behind the situation and um it does also stem into possibly white trying to justify himself although i also feel like he isn't the type of person who needs to justify himself just how cocky it is like i feel like he doesn't need to explain uh, like i don't know i have this weird thing with him where um well so this is something that we've we've talked about for a little bit just amongst the three of us and that's the idea of like does White have any character or character growth mm-hmm. or, or complexity to his character? And I guess that's that question, right? If like if White really is just this surface toned, cocky, like I'm on the runway all day, every day type dude, like you know, watch out because my ego has to sit next to me type guy, then like no, right? Then mm-hmm. everything there's no way he could be justifying because he believes in everything he's saying. Mm-hmm. But if there is complexity to that character, if there is a little bit of you know self doubt or regret then, like, I, I could see a world where, you know, some of what he's saying is him trying to justify the actions he's taken in his life and, like, no, I, yeah, I did some shitty things, but I had to. This is the, this is the life of a swordsman. This is what you have to do. Murder is part of the job. Um, so just some, some food for thought. Yeah. Um, did you have, I'm sorry. Do you have more thoughts? No, I'm like, I always toil. I'm like, is that justification, though, or is that just, like, the reality? Like, is that necessarily him justifying himself, or is that just what he believes the reality of the situation is, where it wouldn't be justification? And, like, that's what's weird, because that doesn't make him yes, less complex is. as a cal- character, but, you know, it's like it's like another means to an end. But, uh, yeah, I defer to you. Yeah, um, no, good thoughts all around. And I think this is my favorite question, uh, so like, so far. This, this is a really good one. This hits home. Because there is no, you were swordsman. There, no, no, but I will, <laughs> no, I will, okay. I to answer this question. Actually, I will bring in some of my upbringing, and that has to do with mixed martial arts. And while that's not necessarily being a swordsman, it is training in a sense in an art that, in for all intents and purposes, could kill someone. Right? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Or beat them, or hurt them really badly. So to kind of answer this question, at least my thoughts on it here, um, injecting a little bit of arbitrariness and anecdotal evidence, but. I, uh, I do think that White ultimately is wrong in the sense that, from my perspective, because I think, I think you, have to ju- you have to understand in your head and you have to come to grips with what you deem murder as. And I think that's the big question here because 
in my mind, and this is where my personal bias might come into it or just the way that I perceive things, I don't believe that all killing is murder. And that's, that's, a, that's a philosophy of me. I think that if there is a situation in where somebody breaks into your house and intends to harm you and your family and you defend yourself and that person is trying to kill you and you kill that person, I don't believe that to be murder in that sort of sense. If you use the like strict definition of just kill equals murder, then fair enough. But at least the way I'm coming from it, I think that they're also, when, when I think of the term murder, I think that they're, they're, there's an intent behind that as well. And a reason why you're killing someone beyond just, you, you know, you killed someone. I think there's a lot of complex situations that happen with that. Um, you know, take, take war, right. For seemingly justifiable causes, right. If, if, you know, your country's going to it or there's some sort of, you know, like fighting for freedom or whatever, take the example that I said before. So that's just to establish that I, I believe that there's a difference between murder and killing. I think there's a con contextual thing that definitely does that and motivation goes behind it. So that's my starting point. Uh, so getting to where I think, so with that being said, I think that White's philosophy is wrong in that sense because I don't think that just because you train with a sword, even though that tool can be used to kill someone, and maybe that was what the inception of it was, I don't think just because you do that, that makes you a murderer. I think the difference between White and someone like Hotz is that White's intent behind it, um, at least from the excerpts that we've gotten from this story so far, is that he is killing these people regardless of what they've done in their lives, not necessarily to defend himself, not necessarily to fight for a family or, or whatever the case might be. It's to say, okay, I want to get stronger. Therefore, I don't care what you did in your life. I don't care what the, cir the circumstances are. I'm going to kill you, murder you, and, and absorb your soul, right, in, the, in that sense, where I think there is a bit of a difference with someone like Hotz, where I believe that there is the side of defense to it, right? To learn how to do that um, in order so that you have a way of defending yourself in the event that somebody like a white or someone that is malicious comes at you with that intent to harm, you're able to be there and not to just get run over like a truck, you know, like a truck running you over in that scenario, I think. And to relate it to what I was saying with fighting before, I kind of relate it on a smaller scale to people that practice mixed martial arts because at the end of the day, those sorts of things are their purpose or, or one could argue that one of their purposes is that it can hurt people, right? And that you could kill someone, literally. But I wouldn't say that every single person that is a mixed martial artist is essentially a murderer in that regard, right? Or if they had used those skills to defend themselves in a situation and they wind up killing someone who was out for them, I wouldn't call them a murderer. So I I relate that on, on a scale there. And just to wrap up the point here, I think there's also a third element to it and kind of picking up of what Isaiah was saying with like the honorable thing, but maybe a little bit of a twist to it in that I do think that there's like a lifestyle and a discipline that comes with that as well, right? I relate it to fighting again. 
there are, you know, there are majority of people that take up that art, that craft and they do it and they're not going in with the thought that it's like, wow, I can't wait to do this so I could like beat the hell out of people and hurt them and kill them. It's more, sometimes it's literally just, it could be something to get your fitness in, something for a hobby, something to just kind of discipline yourself in the, in those times because it takes a lot of discipline in order to perform that art and to perform it well, right? It takes a lot of mental fortitude. And I know my personal experience, a lot of those folks are some of the most down to earth people that you could possibly meet in your life. So I think that there are a lot of different elements that go into that. And I think that, you know, the swordsmanship is kind of uh, falls into a similar camp for me. So I think personally, there's a lot of justification for with white and his words. Uh, he tends to say that a lot, or maybe he just doesn't give a shit. And like, that's how he genuinely sees it. But I guess from my personal perspective, I don't think that that is the only way that it's like, okay, you pick up a sword, you train with a sword that therefore means you're a murderer. And if you're not cool with that idea of you being a murderer, then you should just drop it in general. I think there's something to be said. We say it a lot in these discussions. And this is a, a topic brought up frequently that, getting in tune with the potential of your dark side doesn't like is a necessary, right? Just because you can't hurt anyone doesn't make you good. It's because you could hurt someone and because you have those things and then choose not to and choose not to do that in a malicious way and to utilize it for the defense and the safety of others that are less capable that, you know, that makes you a better, a good person, right? Because you have the capability to do bad and you choose not to in spite of it. But anyway, that's my rant. Well, well I, I, or do you want to go first? Uh, I, I was just going to say, <laughs> yeah, good job. Um, sorry. I don't know if white is necessarily saying that like, just because Hots owns a sword, like that innately makes him a murderer. Um, I think he's more saying that like, if, because I think the, the assumption is that like Hots is so in awe of white's skill with a sword mm -hmm. and he's like, Oh, this guy is on like another level. Like, and then thinking like, what could I do to get to that level? And I think White is implying that, like, if you, not necessarily that, like, you're a murderer because you own a sword or because you practice swordsmanship, but, like, if you want to get good, if you want to get to this level or, or one-tenth is something he references, um, like, you have to, you, like, this is what you're going to have to do. As in, like, you know, racking up a body count in terms of fighting people that are stronger than you and putting yourself in scenarios where if you're not prepared to kill the person in front of you, you're not walking out of, like, that altercation or that room. And I think, like, because if he's... If you're, I don't know, I mean, like, this is, we just think a little bit differently. Because, like, I, in the end of the day, like, murder to me is murder. You kill somebody, like, that's, you murdered them. Whether you murder them in self-defense, surely is a much more noble um, justification for why you murdered them. But that doesn't mean you didn't murder them, right? It's kind of like if I stole your sandwich and then gave it to, like, a poor person because they're homeless and haven't eaten anything. Like, that's a more noble justification, but I still stole your sandwich and not steal the sandwich. Um, in the, again, at least in my mind. So I don't think he's, like... I don't think it's so much that he's like, oh, just the fact that you own this sword makes you a murderer. Whereas it's like, if you want to get to this level of being a swordsmanship, if you want to be the best at being a swordsman, you're going to have to like learn to kill people and like, you know, the way white does. Yeah. And just to clarify, um, I, I think even in spite of that, personally, um, I don't I don't think white is just saying you own a sword, therefore you are this. I do think that white in trying to say, if you want to be good with this, that's what you're going to have to do. 
I guess my 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 first thought still stands, but that's fair because if you if you're coming at the word of murder or the definition of that or the way that you perceive that differently, like if your paradigm and if your base level for that is different, then it totally makes sense that you'd be falling in a different camp. And there's really not much to debate there. You know what I mean? Because it's like the root of it is different. So that there are there are good points all around for sure. Did you have any other thoughts? No, no, we'll leave it at that. Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Is it my question? I think it's Gavin. Uh, or is it Gavin? Yeah, yeah we're four, read, right? Read, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's oh, you. Okay. Oh, I didn't study. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you question number four. four? <laughs> <laughs> Dark North is probably going to mess me up. Uh, thoughts on the backstory of Duan, Kane, and Cha. Um, yeah, interesting. I mean, you got we got to know about some Genesis, and I mean, like, <laughs> Gavin's yeah, right now. <laughs> what? No, no, He's like, no. I gotta stall for an answer here. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm just I mean, it. honestly, for me, it's, um, I mean, Cha's Cha, and obviously we learn about his love story with Duan. I mean, not we didn't really learn his love story more that she, he he likes her and through that whole instance. But I mean, other than that, I feel like you're just gonna be drawn more to Duan and Kane's uh, story, mm-hmm. obviously being sisters and um, what they have to go through now with Duan being sealed and you know her with this whole memory like swap and everything that goes on. I guess this isn't so much the backstory, but like the aftermath and what we got to so far in terms of them waking Duan up and then now Kane, who's literally lying on the ground, I'm assuming dead. They didn't really clarify that, but we know that her memories are gone and now they are with Duan and that whole time space in between that hasn't, that Duan was sleeping for, she now gets Kane memories and I don't know what happens to Kane. If they, if I'm missing that or not, but she's kind of left, alone in the dust and I feel like just that story in itself has tragedy going with off of everything is that they did that they sacrificed for and do that's literally do on for the piece of everything going on and for it really not flourishing to that thought and then just realizing just all the again well I'm going to say the tragedy behind it I feel like it is very sad and then now that they're awakened and already being on separate pages being uh, Duan and Cha that just adds more frustration and like angst to the whole situation um, so yeah I just thought it was interesting that's really my whole thing on it I'm more interested in Duan and Kane and just you know the things they had to give up in terms of you know hoping for a better future and ultimately not getting the future that they wanted and having to suffer for it now and um yeah let's see if Kane wakes up do you guys think that she's going to or no yeah so if i'm not mistaken could be wrong here i think they implied that she's going to be okay as in terms of she's going to be alive she's just not going to remember but that she's not going to remember her sister yeah, that's at what all I she thought. basically like stole her memories uh-huh. in a weird because that's part of the spell so that that brings up another question i wonder if she's going to lose Every memory she's ever had of her sister, which I'm assuming is what they were alluding to, or so. just like that gap that they took from her and gave to her sister, mm. that's the gap that she's going to be missing. So she is going to know of her sister in the past, like mm. when she got sealed, yeah. but any information that was taken from her, that is all she was going to forget. So that was, was kind of weird for I me. I think um, just going off strictly off the words that they use, it's gonna be the just sister, sister says, you're going to lose all of your memories of me, so I'm going to assume that she won't remember who her sister, who is, her at sister is at all. That's fair just enough. going off the, the wording. Okay, fair mm. enough. Yeah, I don't know if it's like a translation thing or not. But. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I um. Yeah. There. The story is. First of all, I'd like to just thank SIU for doing redheads justice mm. in this story. That's true. Because like he rarely misses with any oh, yeah. redheads that come on, and I did not realize how much I appreciate 
that aesthetic yeah, until reading this story. <laughs> yeah, I literally, a new thing, a new gears are turning in my mind, and I'm like... He made his girlfriend get red hair. I'm like, <laughs> God damn, you know what I mean? I'm like, shit, I didn't even realize that I knew I had this this in me, this gene or whatever it was. <laughs> shit, but like, I see like... head loving gene. Yeah, like, damn, dude. It was like, why were you in it first? And I'm like, okay, you know? And then like, see the other ones, and now I see uh, Duan and Kane. Yeah. Kane, I'm not going to lie. I know, like, her part might not be as significant long-term, but I was like, shit, man, I wouldn't mind if we brought you onto the crew, like, going on later on, and then her sister's gorgeous, too. <laughs> Drop dead gorgeous. But anyway, I'll put that aside for a minute here. Uh, their backstory is interesting. Uh, the townspeople are just real pieces of shit uh, <laughs> and really just got under my skin the entire time. And I, I do think there is something, there's this dynamic, right, where it's like, okay, do you how much is enough and is there a point where it is enough right because duan is like okay i get it in the meantime you know i'm gonna you know i'm gonna sacrifice myself because you people deserve to live on and kane really bites her tongue for a lot of this and then eventually just explodes she's just like i'm done that's it you guys have not taken this seriously at all all of you have just bowed the knee to anyone who comes and basically starts saying that they're the strongest person around and you guys will sell each other out for that. You don't respect the name of the hero who let you all live in, in essence, right? And I'm just tired of it, right? I'm tired of it at this point. And it's like, at what point is it is it actually the morally correct thing to do to kind of course correct, right? Mm -hmm. Because those people are just going to keep on going down that same path, right? Not to get too biblical here, but it reminds me of kind of like this this reoccurring story in the Bible for anyone who's familiar in the Old Testament is basically spoiler alert. You know, no, spoiler, I'm I'm yeah. spoiler alert. That was pretty good. No, but it's just, that was funny. But it does remind me of it. Like in the Old Testament, it's like basically the Israelites, the people, basically get released from bondage or cap captivity in some way, shape, or form of being oppressed. What happens is they they go along their merry way and then inevitably every single time they get to this peak and then they start bitching about everything they disregard you know in in the story it's you know god and everything that that's gone on there and they're basically like we could do this whole shit ourselves we can do this like we don't need anything and then they plummet into this level of you know almost what we see in this town right where they're just like they've gone into this like dark recesses of themselves and they're willing to sell each other out for whatever and they're they're doing all these terrible things and eventually you know god comes around again and he's just like that's it and he, they, they all just get subjugated again right and some people might look at that as cruel and which now i relate back to duan and kane because they finally snap right and you say okay how much is enough though right like how much is enough before it's like we have to course correct this or otherwise these people are just like what's the point so i i think i give a little sympathy to duan and kane uh in this story because I feel that the people are incredibly, have gone incredibly astray in this, right? They've become peaceful, but not only at the cost of being confined with virtually no freedom, but even worse than that, in my opinion, is that they've lost themselves in it, right? In the sense that they are willing to just throw people under the bus at any whim. They're ready to tear down statues and monuments of the people that gave them the opportunity to live in this peaceable solution and all that kind of thing. And to me, that's what really disgusted me there because they've just, their souls have been like in their hearts have been virtually just corrupted from the top down. Uh, and it's really sad to see. So it was kind of cool to see Kane just kind of like cut loose and beat ass. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, that's just my thoughts on it. And then Duan, 
you know, is interesting because she's initially against Bomb, and it's like, oh, what are you doing? You're attacking these people. But now she kind of has the second thought. So I think Duan's story has really just begun in that sense, where Kane's story, I don't know how much further that goes. I think Kane might have been the literal vessel or key to now kind of Duan's kind of carrying the torch, and we're going to see how this goes from here on out. But uh, sorry, I didn't really answer much about Cha, but there's really not much to be said, in my personal opinion, beyond I just want him to express his feelings, you know, to, uh, to Duan and for that to work out because it was a really wholesome and heartwarming moment when Duan's like, I know you like me. And he's like, what, what are you talking about? I'm trying to be cool here. You know? So that was cool. I, I hope that they get to see each other again, at least. And things happen there, but yeah, uh, I definitely feel, you know, just super bad for Kane and Duan that to grow up around these people <laughs> that they, <laughs> that they, you know, were part of their society or whatever. Cause like, they're not worth shit. They're not worth the literal dirt, in my opinion. <laughs> like I, I, I think it's expressed so well in the fact that a group like these people exist, but then just another part of the wall, there's a uh, Tartra and the other group of people who live in the wall mm. who are in the same situation, but rather than bend the knee to anybody who's from Jihad's empire or anybody who is just like, I'm the strongest in the room, so do what I say. Um, you know, pick the easy or the safe right, safe life. This life that they've ultimately chosen, you know, what which they've masqueraded under the guise of, oh, we have peace now. But it's like, no, you're just living a safe life. And like, sure, there's a hint of peace in that, in that there's no conflict, but there's no conflict because you're willing to sell away yourself, quite frankly, your morals, your ide your identity, your ideologies, anything and everything that makes you worth anything, you're willing to just give up so you don't have any conflict, so you don't have any trouble, so nobody comes to your door and starts knocking and like, you know, requesting a fight or whatever. And it's quite frankly disrespectful to the person who literally gave her life so that you all could still keep breathing because that wouldn't be a thing. And they're like, oh, well, if Jihad's forces come knocking on the door any minute, like what, are we going to hold them back? But then I, again, I, I shift and echo to Tartra's words, which is like, then we die trying. And we go out there and we stay who we are till the second we stop breathing. Because I would rather die myself than live in, like, this shell of a life as just some cheap fucking shill that, like, is just willing to toss anybody else under the rug so I get to live another day. Mm. It's like, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. I, com I was completely on Kate's side when she exploded. And quite frankly, impressed that it took her that long to explode. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I just, because it, it doesn't, it and and then once we saw the um that priest dude who's you know about as old as dirt <laughs> like you know he's just like oh i'm really just in like in this for the politics and it's like these people these people don't care you know and and that's why it was so so fucking cathartic when uh duan got to just fucking crush that dude <laughs> with her pedals cuz it's at the end cuz it's like you had this shit coming. You know what I mean? You, like she says, it's time to pay for your sins. I gave you guys a chance at peace, and you quite literally did nothing with it. Like, so, yeah, it's, 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 yeah. And Shaw, as far as I'm concerned, I, I do think the interesting thing, though, about Shaw is that, so, uh, Duwan has come back, and she's kind of like, oh, okay, I'm going to side with Jihad's forces for now, because I don't really know what to think of this band kid yet. She's obviously under the impression, probably, that Shaw's either dead or also sealed away, because, well, not... She wouldn't, I, there's really no place to assume that she was sealed or that for her to assume that he was sealed away because she got sealed away before he did, True. right? So she has absolutely no idea where he is, if he's even still alive. So I think once she not only can confirm that Shaw is alive, but that he was also fed a similar story about this same person, that might shake up her alliances. It might shake up her ideologies in terms of like, 
what stance she wants to take in this war because that was sure. the whole thing they were saying with the captain of like oh take your time you don't have to p- pick right now but like when this war starts you're gonna need to pick a side right now it may seem like she's like going towards jihad side because she's like oh it might be fun to side with jihad but i think seeing someone like cha mm. and and hearing cha's side of the story and, and what he went through might immediately sort of bring her back into like oh okay okay you know let me recenter myself here and really you know fight for you know who I believe in or what I believe is right. Yeah, Caliban, it, that's going to bite Caliban so hard yeah. that he's just willing to do that. And I guess for narrative purposes, obviously, because if he chose the former, uh, we don't have a protagonist anymore because he just yeah. wipes out everyone and kills them. But just from a logistical standpoint, I I understand because Caliban is like super strict code where it's like, I'm a soldier. So right now I'm just following the order and does that to a fault because then he doesn't have any executive decision in that and is able to, you know, be like, okay, I know this is my order, but I know in the long run, this is actually going to be the better play and doesn't decide to do it. I actually think that is a, um, not to get off too much on this, but I do think it ties to the question. I think that that is one of Caliban's biggest weaknesses from what I've seen from him is that he is actually incredibly, there's actually a question about him, but he's incredibly intelligent and we see that he's actually a multifaceted person beyond the fact that he's just like, I'm super strong and Jihad is, is dope. Like there's, he's a very complex character and like he's smart as hell and analytical. But I think that he is almost like that to a fault with this whole like honor code style. Like I'm a soldier. I'm going to fall in line with the ranks. Um, at least in the confines of the story that I think that could be his biggest weakness is that because he's not willing to make an executive decision and potentially face whatever consequences happen in order to ensure that the, his side uh, claims a victory because he's so rigidly following the rules there that it's going to bite him in the ass in the long run. Cause I can't help but think I'm like, I'm like, why are you accepting her, dude? <laughs> I was like, the fact that she's like, I'll think about it and I'll be with you guys right here is just like, if you can, if you can, if you can kill her and everyone here right now, but you know that she is that powerful where it's like, it's going to be a big deal later if she flips on you. I don't even think it's worth the trouble personally. Like if I'm Jihad, I'm like, Mm. if she's going to potentially flip, get rid of her like that. I'm not even, I'm not even taking that chance to be honest. And I'm assuming for story purposes, I could be wrong, but she does flip (laughs) or she's just like, "Ah, not about the whole Jihad army thing anymore. And so now he has the chance to get stabbed in the back and now bam got away. So Anyway, bit of a tangent there, but I'm just like, I feel like that's going to be one of Caliban's biggest blunders, and that's going to lead really to his downfall because I think Bomb is inevitably going to win (laughs) at some point against him. So that'll be interesting. (laughs) Quoting SIU, always bet on the main character. Um, You know, at some point, yeah, Bam will will beat Caliban. Um, Yeah, it's just a matter of if he needs more people to do that, if it's just sort of lining up the the right moment with the right time type Mm. beat, like maybe once... If he gets Duan, Cha, and you know, I don't know, whatever. But but yeah, I, I think definitely think it's it, it is interesting though. Like with, again, with Duan, that like this time around, when she before she got sealed, she was very much like, I I as a warrior who's a, am opposing Jihad's army, am willing to do this to save my people from them, is now coming out this sort of second time around again. And I think the huge influence here now, this time she even says it is that she's not even so much Duan this time, but she has a lot of Kane in her from her memories. So there is that like sort of fiery spark, if that's what you want to call it from Kane, where she's like, let me figure out 
what I want to do first. Mm-hmm. Like, let me figure out what it is because I quite literally, in a way, have been given a second chance at this whole life thing. And the people who I gave up my first life for are kind of pieces of shit. So <laughs> let's, you know, dial back to clocks here. Let's rethink and, and you know, reanalyze Duan. What am I doing here? Why am I doing it? You know, and I think that's what was so interesting about this, this comment. She's like, oh, I think I'll fight on Jihad's army. I, like, I've never done it before, you know? Almost like she's, like, playing here, you know? Like she's yeah. testing out the waters. To Why see. not? Yeah, exactly. What's the alternative? I'm exactly. dead. Yeah. And so, you know, I think, again, like yeah. I said, once she meets Cha, though, that might sort of recenter her mm. into, like, being a little bit more serious and playing this for keeps, so to speak. But yeah, I think they're all definitely yeah, cool characters. Sure. Good question, even though it's short and sweet. Um, all right, so moving on to the next one, we have by Raja Branco. Thank you for the question. Uh, Branco asks, who do you think the boss is? He looks like Wang Nan, but the image of Jihad in the hell floor seemed older when he proposed to Arlene. And second, Kun Edon only... Wait, what? And second, Kun Edon only V... Oh, and second, Kun Edon only... No, the second Kunin. Yeah. God as damn copy, it. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah like the hidden, hidden floor, floor Kunin. Somebody read this for me. I'm sorry. And what? So, so the second Kunin only V cared for yeah. the people of the tower. The, the, second? The, the, the second key, mm, <laughs> second Kunin says that V only or oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. There's some words. Brain yeah, blast. Yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> it says only V cared for people, people of, of the, the tower. tower. Yeah, so like everyday <laughs> citizen. Yeah, yeah. And Karaka doesn't seem to be that old. Also, Jihad didn't know about Bomb before the Hidden Floor. Do you think the boss is against Jihad like Karaka? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. There's really not, there's there's like literally nothing to go off of here besides it looks like Wang Nan, Jihad, and potentially Karaka if he takes the armor off. So you could either think it's one of those or with some like crazy ulterior plan or it's someone else entirely. Because we do know that there's this whole play with the seed of the king thing mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. and how Wang Nan was taken care of almost as like this incubated child that it's like, like shove that off, like go there. And we've had theories that Karaka might, you know, have been a brother to Wang Nan, but like he had a different upbringing. So obviously his choices have been different now. So like they might've been isolated. So there might've been, I don't know, I'm just going off here, but there might, there might be like a, a lot more kids than we thought um, of jihad or potentially like their clones or I don't know what the hell the, the, the whole, the, um, the thing is here, but, uh, I don't know. I, I think I, I guess, well, I mean, for me, I, I think it's ruled out that it's Wang Nan. I mean, you kind of go over it in your question here, but I think it's ruled out that it's Wang Nan considering his mole is in a different spot unless he could literally like change the anatomy of his face in that way. Well, Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. You got me there. Um, but I'm just going to go off context clues. I don't think it's Wang Nan. Um, I don't know if Jihad had a mole at all, so I actually don't think it's Jihad. And uh, and to be fair, cosmetic you know surgeries and and uh, uh, a dermatologist might exist in the tower. So like this whole mole thing might be hanging me up a little bit. But assuming that they're not ready to get their moles t- lasered off, um, I don't think it's Jihad either. And. It could be, you know, if Karaka, we don't even know if Karaka actually looks like that to begin with. We're just speculating. It's a pretty good chance, but we don't know for certain. So I don't, I I think there's not enough info for me to say that it'd be Karaka either. And I think that this person has like been really like big, big brain in it and is obviously really old. It said that Karaka is pretty young. He's a prodigy in, in those terms and he's coming up through the ranks quickly. So I don't think he's old enough. Like you stated in your question there. So this leaves me with, I don't know who the hell it is to be completely honest with you. But all I know is that this person 
clearly knows a lot of very important people. This person is a trickster and a master manipulator and is clearly playing this like grand chess game here. Uh, this like house of cards as it were is, you know, he's like playing politics and he's doing all this sort of thing to try and put people in the position that he needs them to be in for whatever reason that is. I don't know if this person works for Jihad, mm. doesn't, I don't know. Um, I think it's Karaka. You think it's Karaka? Yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, I think that it's definitely not Jihad actually, because I think whoever this is, is ultimately against Jihad. And I think they're doing this to sort of like wean out and test these warriors and these, uh, um, like these heroes, um, to see what it is they're about. And I think that's why, again, other than using different words to sort of lean them in two different directions, doesn't straight up tell them any of this information and gives them just enough to get them to start inferring stuff on their own because he wants to see where their natural uh, like alliances and, and, and morals are. Um, and I think that because I think the, to the only two people that, that share that identity, I mean, like I'm, I am fair enough going off the assumption that like I'm, I think Karaka looks like like he's fucking walking on fucking twin. Like that's just <laughs> that's where we're at. Um, which does also solve the mole thing because we've never seen Karaka's face. <laughs> so, aha. Um, but I do ultimately think that it's Karaka because I think I don't know. The, the more I think about it, this feels like something Karaka would do. And I, I know the question in here is like, oh, well, Karaka doesn't seem to be that old. And it's like, dude, what the fuck has age ever been in this story? Like, are you kidding me? People are 500 years old and they look like they're 30. Like, <laughs> I don't I don't think like Karaka doesn't look old is a, a solid enough thing to dismiss him, you know, away. Because it's like, dude could have been alive. We know that Karaka and if, if Karaka and Wangnan are twins, we can assume that they are around the same age. If we know that Wangnan has actually lived a longer life so to speak than what we've than what we've seen uh, rather his entrance in season two is not like all there is in his story right there was a life that Wang Nan had before that that we we just aren't privy to I would make the assumption that Karako is in a very similar boat he didn't live the same life like again because of their separation and isolation and different environments Karaka probably lived like literally lived a different life but time-wise Karaka had as much time doing stuff in the tower before being exposed to the, you know, or becoming rather the Karaka we know now. Um, it's really the only thing that makes other than like somebody is, it's literally like a, a fourth party and they're just assuming the identity of a Jihad Wangnan or, but like, I think, I don't know, Karaka just makes the most sense to me. What do you think, Gavin? Gavin, has been <laughs> Gavin in the tank yeah, over there. I wish you could have saw his camera. No, I, frozen I, I had a weird idea, but I don't even know if Oh God, here we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's like, it's Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> You animal. <laughs> no, I've been toying with the thought of um, it really. I don't know if it'll make. It, I mean, it won't really make sense. And in, in, I guess hear me out. Um, <laughs> for some reason, I feel like it's data jihad, and I know that kind of doesn't make sense. But I feel like there might be a way that through the workshop, which created the mirrors, there's some way to extract the data of old jihad and replicate them into the real world um, or into the tower. And I feel like that is possible. And a lot of it comes with just the way he shared, shared his personality because it seems similar to the one in Data Jihad where he's like, I'm this great adventurer. Like, it seemed like that personality was there. And also, off the tail end of the fight with Bam, it almost seemed like he had some sort of respect to Bam to where he's like, I could see you causing great change in the tower. Like, I see you causing great change in the tower. I want you to show future me, like you know, what, what he's missing out on, what it's like, like what the real adventure is in that conversation where he almost seemed like not like almost happy in a sense that his future self is going to see Bam. And like, that would seem like enough justification for me to almost st like 
to do what he's doing in terms of separating these two people, which he would know of if dated Jihad, because he would know all the past memories of Jihad in terms of meeting these people, Duan Kane or Duan and Cha. So like he would know, like the, he would have, he would be able to have a conversation with them, know where to find them and do these things and also manipulate it in a way to where it would start to war. It would start the war that would set Bam another step closer to his future self in that regard. So, it, you know, there are a lot of holes in that thought, it, but, like, I feel like it wouldn't be completely out of the question in some way if somehow it was, like, data, data jihad, whether he was replicated in a weird way. I, I, I don't know. It's I very weird. I think but. the only thing that pokes a hole in it for me is that I'm pretty sure the hidden floor doesn't predate this conversation because the conversation had to have happened before these two got sealed away, which would mean that it had to have happened after the Battle of Genesis, which is which is said to have happened do- or at the at the, you know the tail end of the Genesis battle which was that great war that happened in the tower a long time ago but this was when Jihad first became king so I but don't know if don't the hidden floor existed yet. Yes, because the hidden floor Jihad created on his climb to the tower. He wasn't, he, remember, because that was his adventurer self that was sealed behind. That was his old self. So that was before Jihad became king. So that would have to assume that some of Data Jihad would have had to escape at some point or in some weird way. Like, like I think the hidden, the hidden um, floor did exist prior to that. Uh, because I'm assuming it was along the climb, like that's when he was an adventurer in that state. So I think it existed before that. But um, then, like, I guess it, then my th- I, I'm saying it's not foolproof, but yeah, I have yeah, a yeah. weird feeling. No, that, I'm like, just I'm for me, I feel like it would be weird thinking if it was through Karaka this with you. Or, I, I don't like, know. Wh- how would because I I I thought it was stated that like the the data versions like aren't allowed to leave the hidden floor, which they're bound there. I which I agree with, but the hidden floor was also that that whole floor with the mirror was, was created by the workshop. So there's not like for me, like I feel like that's the back door where they would be able to manipulate data, access data where they wanted to and be able to, you know, really dip their hands in without Jihad knowing them being the creators. You know, where it's like they would always have some sort of way to get in there without Jihad knowing because they created it and even though they gave it to him. As okay, so then gift. would your thing be so. that data jihad is against his current self and like went out on this thing to you know sort of like throw a a wrench in like the whole jihad empire i don't think he's necessarily against himself i feel like it's at the end of the hidden floor where he kind of states that he wants bam to almost he he is looking forward to bam meeting his future self to see the type of person that he is and the type of fighter that he is, that it might spark something that has been lost a long time ago. And that is what I feel like he is looking for, where it's not necessarily he wants his future self to die, but he wants this interaction to happen and expedite it because he thinks it would be interesting if, you know, Bam would meet his former self. Like, I think it goes off of that ideology right before the hidden floor was deleted and in that whole thought that he said, where he's like, obviously he doesn't want himself to die, but he did also state that he was, like, very intrigued when, you know, the thought of Bam meeting his future self. Um, So, I don't know. I feel like that could happen. Uh, It was just a weird something toiling in my mind. Could be completely off basis and proven wrong, but I just feel like that would be something interesting brought back in some weird way. It's just, for me, I don't know. Karaka feels weird. We know it's not weighing none, and if it wasn't Jihad himself, I would have hated fourth party. This is the only thing that I can come up with in my mind that we know of that could, by weaving and hooping, you can make it work. Um... Yeah, so that's my my thought. Interesting. Uh, who's the next question? I believe it's me. Take it away, friend. 
Number six comes to us from Simony Mate slash Sad Sparkles. We have a little co-op here. Uh, what are your thoughts on Calavan now that we get to see more sides of him? What are the impl- the implications of Chion He still calling Calavan Squadron Commander by accident, even though he isn't anymore and is, in fact, a normal soldier lower than her? What do you think of their dynamic uh, with asking for advice and all that? And how does it paint a picture of their previous how does it paint a picture of their previous squadron? So I'd like to add on real quick on this one too, because it was just too much text for me to do, but just also sad sparkles contribution to the question. Really? I couldn't put in, but it was remembering, um, Caliban's respect that he had towards the, uh, the other guy that had guarded something for as long as he Mm -hmm, did. mm -hmm. And he's like, I also have guarded and how he didn't want to actually destroy the whole place that he, he did make that promise to, um, to what's her face? Uh, yeah. uh, Kane. Uh, yeah. And he was trying to follow through with that. Mm-hmm. And if that influences anything in terms of like how his characters progress. So I just want to throw that in there. Um, so what are the thoughts on Caliban? We see more sides of him. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think more or less what I've always thought, uh, you know, it's cool to see that he has some, you know, that he has a set of moral codes, but I actually don't think that that like makes him any less dangerous or less of a threat than he has ever been. And that he's then, what he's established himself as prior um, because that mindset can be taken to the extreme, which I think it is in Caliban. And I think that's like sort of his problem. Like it's cool to see some of those other windows and facets, but I think they all stem into what is his larger flaw and his larger problem is that all of that adds up to this very like dots have to connect my way or the highway kind of guy, which like is what makes him the villain here. At least in my mind is that he's very like, Jihad, unity, or I kill you. <laughs> it's like there's no in between. Um, so you know, so that's that's that. Um, what are your implications of Chion? He's still calling him squadron commander. Obviously, she has st- like still holds him in very high regard, rank or no rank. You know, all of that official nonsense be damned. Clearly, because you know whether he's a regular soldier, whatever relationship they shared prior when he was the, I'm getting all these. He when he was a squadron commander. Um, you know, whatever relationship they shared, like, she clearly still holds, you know, in high validity and in high regard. Um, you know, uh, although, like, it, it clearly shows that whether, no matter what he is, she still sees him as the squad commander Caliban. And whether that's because, like, he did something for her specifically when he became squadron commander, maybe they worked together to, like, get themselves into the business they're in. So there's this weird, you know, affinity and unity here where it's like, oh, we were, we got, we worked so hard to get up here. It's like, I don't care where you end up. You will always be, you know, Squadron Commander Caliban to me. Um, or maybe she likes him and, you know, there's a there's a, a hint of romanticness uh, in there. But I, I think, to be honest, like that, you could add that on or take it out. I think at the end of the day, there is something like more than that or not as fickle as that, right? Like, I don't think, because I, I think romanticizing it in a weird way makes it like, oh, oh, like, oh, that's why she's doing it. You know what I mean? And I actually think that there is this like much more like rudimentary cemented bond that they share um hence why like they seem to be close enough and comfortable enough to come to each other and call each other for advice right which is clearly what Caliban was asking for and needed to sort of find out what was his best opportunity to get Kane to agree to go uh unlock his sister um even though there aren't any signs what do you think of their dynamic asking for advice how does this paint a picture of the previous squadron yeah I think their previous squadron unlike probably I would say unlike most of the squadrons in Jihad's higher army um we're actually like pretty close. Like, and I think they, they really trusted each other and, and, you know, like made actual bonds, which, you know, I don't think not for nothing. I think like you said, sad sparkles included in there. 
the that notion that Caliban has when uh, they meet uh, Tonky, and he's like, you know, and he's like, you know what? At the end of the day, what the fuck was that? Yeah. Um I think at the end of the day when he's like, you know, I, I do respect that you have again, because I think it's it's a mirror situation where he sees a lot of that discipline that Caliban upholds very highly, where he's like, You have these these morals and these ideas, and that is why you've been here. That is what you're guarding. Your will has clearly not been shaken by any outside forces because you've stuck to your guns. And I respect that wholeheartedly, and I'm willing to give you <laughs> a soldier's death. Um and you know, I think that that notion is what was carried out throughout Caliban's whole squadron. And I think that is like what unified and bonded that whole group and probably much more closely than, you know, like I said, your random run of the mill uh, squadron in the army. So they're probably pretty tight. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, no, I think respect is the biggest word that defines Caliban. And I really feel like that was a side that was shown displayed, especially with um, Tonky's fight. And the fact that he, he gives respect to where he feels is due and he upholds said respect. And I feel like that is what trickles down to him and Xi'an He's relationship where they both share that respect for each other, where, you know, he was um, her leader at one, or he was the commander at some point and she had respect for him being in that position and vice versa. He respected her quite highly for being in the position that she was. And when you have that respect, you know, it's, it's substantial for him as a character. Um, and that's, that's what I feel like that that's that's their dynamic in a sense and I feel like that's what he's looking for with people where it's like you you need to earn his respect and when you do it is something it is something great to him um which is what also brings that whole like you're gonna get the soldier's death and blah 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 because I know everything that you're going to it's like you know for and again why he fights for jihad and you know just the respect of his power and the code of conduct that he follows um I just you know I feel like you see it in a lot of like just soldiers and people in like in the military, like it's very much about that respect and attaining it and also showing it to other people when it's due. Um, and that's kind of just what I get from him. And, you know, that has its, it has its caveats, but you know, it's good and bad. Um, yeah. And I really feel like that's the only other thing I can add onto it other than, cause that's really their, in my eyes, that's their relationship. I don't think it's romanticized in any way or, you know, to any ship of the woods, but, um, just the fact that they have that respect is what allows or enables Caliban to reach out to her and ask for help and quite literally allows her to answer them. Uh, the implications of it, however, I feel like could stem if someone other than these two parties find out, um, about said conversation, because, Obviously, he is no longer said commander, so if it is Chian, he is found out to be calling through the pocket, whether it's, you know, bugged or whatever, that she is having conversations with Caliban, who is, you know, now just a normal soldier. And, you know, even if she's asking for help or giving help when she's not supposed to, and we know how jihad is, especially when people aren't following that order, especially when it comes in in lieu of rank, um, I feel like her position could potentially be at, um, could be taken away from her um, if this is found out that, you know, they share, they still share this respect. And if she doesn't treat him as, you know, someone lesser in a sense, because that just kind of seems to flow with Jihad's army and the kind of dynamic that a lot of them have is like, I'm the baddest bitch of all, blah, 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 blah. Like you're below me for a reason. And like there's a substantial gap that like you can see said differences. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do wonder, I don't know if they are going to get in trouble per se, but I do see it as an implication. Um, but yeah, they're going to still do it because you know, they, they respect each other. So yeah, I guess that's my thoughts on it. 
Yeah, uh, I think to add a couple more words onto the respect one, because I think mm-hmm. you hit the nail on the head, but uh, I guess if I could add a couple more, I would say honor, integrity, and discipline would be another three that I could see relating to Caliban as a character. Um, I like him. I think he's pretty cool and and pretty badass. And uh, I think he is the product of what happens when rigidity and this sort of... I need to be the, you know, the the one to make sure that everyone is safe type thing goes, like, way too far in that regard. Um, because it, what's interesting with this character is that he kind of has this, like, I'm having a hard time comparing exact characters, but I guess the first one that comes to mind is Thanos in the sense that he genuinely does believe what he is doing is the right thing. Right. And those kinds of villains are more times than not, to me at least, scarier than the ones that know they're being evil sacks of shit just for the sake of being evil sacks of shit. Um, because he's a man that thinks that the universe is on his side and that he has a mission and that it is through hell and high water that he's going to accomplish it. Um, he has a picture in mind for where this is going. And a man or woman with a goal is, is someone and, and a dream and, and means to accomplish it is someone that is a force to be reckoned with. So I think Caliban ticks all those boxes, but you know, instead of Thanos taking it upon himself with the infinity stone to do something about it, Caliban is deferring that to Jihad being the highest pinnacle of power to be able to keep everyone uh, to heal, right, in that sense so that there there is no war or whatever. At least that's what he thinks. Um, so I find that interesting, but I do feel like there is this element of this, like, self-imposed exile, right, where it's like the person does something wrong in, in, in like, an ancient story or whatever, and they self-impose their exile or, like, make themselves handicapped when they didn't maybe need to do it as much as they do, but it's more, it's, there's, there's more of an implication to it than just, like, oh, I'm just doing this for the hell of it. It's, like, it's, like, this rite of passage that Caliban genuinely believes that he has to go through in order to, you know, assume the ranks again because he's, like, almost self-imposing these lashes. Now, I know he does get demoted, and I know it's not explicitly, explicitly said, but I can't help but think that Caliban is probably the one that's actually self-imposing the punishment almost more than Jihad is like, yeah, whatever. You know, I think Jihad definitely doesn't tolerate failure in that regard. And Jihad is definitely a cutthroat dude from what we've learned. But I do think, and this is me really speculating here, that Jihad does have a, a respect for Caliban. Um, at least that's my thought process. And so that Caliban is really taking the punishment part of it, like to the absolute extreme. And I think with, you know, to- constantly referring to himself as soldier and being like, nope, can't do anything, sticking to that, putting his arm behind his back in that as well, right, to kind of make this mission even harder for the sake of it being harder, um, going through <laughs> these trials, literally. I like, like, no, I, I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems silly, but it's like, you it know, is. it's like this, it <laughs> like, is, but that's what I'm saying, it's like this old, super, like, honor bound, honor code, like, rite of passage style thing that, like, there are just people like that that take that to an absolute extreme. And uh, Caliban is, is the essence of that, right? Where he, but he also at the same time has this like warrior's code where he's like, you know, I'm going to, I understand your situation. I respect you as a warrior. I'm not going to try and blow up your place, even though I know there's like a higher mission at stake. And I think that's just part of Caliban's code and like these self-imposed rules 
in his life that kind of structure the way that he goes about his day to day. And I think too, if you take that, if you take what he does to like, <laughs> not to his extreme, but like to a smaller extent, um, I actually think it's a recipe for probably having a better life in a lot of senses. And I know that's a pretty strong statement, but I think that there's something necessary about disciplining yourself in some way, shape or form and like setting a code and, and rules for you to follow in some way. So you don't just like float in, in the middle of nowhere and have nothing to ground yourself at all and just be adrift in that sense. So I think to an extent, it's a good thing, but I think Caliban just takes that to like the absolute 1000% extreme. And that's where you get into this mode of this total rigidity. Like I said before, I think that's going to be his downfall that he is so extreme in this camp that he's like, Oh, I can't even, even though I know that bomb is going to be way more of an issue later, I'm not going to step outside of the bounds of what I'm supposed to do for those reasons, you know? And, and I think that's going to really, he's really going to shoot himself in the foot with that is that he kind of gave up he, a little bit of his self agency to, to, uh, to be in this like super, super disciplined code, like this, this way that he uh, lives his life. But I do, I do like it to an extent. I think it, it makes a cool, I think it makes a cool villain in, in certain ways because it's like, you know, they're, they're scary to, to deal with. But anyway, I feel like, let me put it this way. I really hope Jihad is the one that like imposed that punishment on him because I kind of feel like Jihad doesn't respect anybody. Like it, in my mind, it's that'd be a weird thing in his MO for him to like of all people, like the only people that I could see him even thinking about giving respect to are the other 10 family heads. And we've seen that he's literally willing to go to war and order their entire families killed if they cross him. So Jahan doesn't strike me as somebody that like really gives a damn about like honor or like any of the things Caliban, I think Caliban appreciates the, you know, the structured regimented discipline that Jihad imposes, but I don't think it's too, like, I don't think Jihad like respects that he respect. Like, I don't think Jihad quite frankly cares if he respects it or not. He's like, you're just going to do it. Like, you know what I mean? And I think so in my mind, it'd be weird if Caliban did that to himself one, cause that's just unnecessary. Um, but two, like, because yeah, if you got demoted for like not being able to do your job, but like this, this job, you being a soldier is like your pride and, and, and joy. Wouldn't like completing the mission, i.e. making yourself the best version of yourself to do that make more sense than like purposely making it, like purposely increasing the chances that you would then fail and disappoint your your commander again. Like you know what I mean? It, it I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't. No, that's fair. And like I said, a lot of it was speculation on my half. Yeah. So I totally understand where you're coming from, and you could totally be right. I think it's just a matter of getting a little bit more backdrop on Caliban and not as much on Jihad. And a lot of what we've had to go off on Jihad is pure speculation. So that's where it's tough because you could be absolutely right or. I could be right in that speculation there. And it's just, we've always just kind of assumed Jihad is like this guy who's like, he doesn't give a shit about anyone. We always, we always tend to do this and we've been doing it throughout all of our discussions. It's like, I feel like I'm guilty of this too, where we just like, Jihad is this. And like, you just like, we just like paint a, a broad stroke over it, right? Off of like what somebody else said. Or Jihad does that. Or Jihad wouldn't give a shit about this. Or Jihad would give a shit about this, right? Like it goes both ways. And at the end of the day, I think about it and it's like, really don't know, you know? Cause like uh, all you've really gotten in terms of Jihad is data Jihad. And from, and with that, and that data Jihad, I, you know, I think they're, 
it's it's tough because this is a a, a former a, a version of himself. So we only get that like adventurer style spirit that like wants to get that spark again through his talks with Bomb. And then all we really got was Jihad, come, big Jihad coming down and being like, you don't understand. There's like big things here. Like I'm trying to control fate, zips out. And then beyond that, it's really just been other people's accounts, right? Where it's like, Garam says one thing and you know, she seems to be a good guy. So we take a lot of that at face value, but we don't know how much of that is true or how much of the other side of the story there is where it's like he got salty and killed him, right? There's a war there. We also have like the God of Guardians and he says, you know, he was great like you, but then he flipped, etc. cetera. Um, and so the point is, is like, I think he's obviously the bad guy, right? I'm not trying to frame this as like, who knows, Jihad might be the good guy. I think he's the bad guy. But I do think that like the, the small little nuance things in his personality about who he respects or doesn't respect or how he would feel about like some small situation or whatever is kind of tough to do anything but speculate on at the end of the day. So I could be dead wrong. Uh, I guess I was just going off of more of what I got from Caliban's character rather than Jihad's character. So maybe it wasn't so much that I thought that Jihad respected Caliban and was like, yo, you don't really have to do like as much as you're doing as much as I thought that Caliban was like overly overtly into that camp and would be a, the kind of person to be self-imposed on that, to be like, I completely deserve this punishment and whatever you're going to do, like I'll do, you know what I mean? Like I'm absolutely cool with it. Honestly, you should probably bonk me over the head a couple more times too. Cause I probably deserve it. You know, like one of those kind yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that's what I mean. I, I feel on. like we, that's fair. We don't, we haven't like heard Jihad himself talk about his personality, but like, I feel like with the accounts we've gotten, like enough of them cross intersect into this, the idea of the kind of per like we know, like from the things that we've seen him either, like from the way this tower operates, which is an extension of Jihad, every, everything that everybody does is because Jihad allows them or doesn't allow them to do it. That's where the conflict is. Like Jihad's the kind of person who doesn't even give orders to people to their face. Right, like that doesn't st like. And I guess what I'm saying is, with all the things that we have seen him either do or not do to people, you like start to piece together, like you know what I mean, your mind, the puzzle of like what kind of person that is, and like that kind of person who like doesn't even take the time to address his his soldiers, his highest ranking soldiers, doesn't seem like the same kind of guy that would like respect them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's fair. Yeah. Um, like I said, I I could be dead wrong. I was probably going more into Caliban's character rather than Jihad's character. Um, and you could be right in that respect, but I do think there is something I'm just, this is kind of off the beaten path of the question. Now that we're on the Jihad thing here, I really do. And I'm not like a Jihad, um, apologist here. You know what I mean? Like he, like I said, he's, he's the bad guy. At least that's, that's you know, his frame. <laughs> but I do actually think that there is something more to Jihad's character and i don't think it's so black and white as like everything every bad thing that has happened in this tower is just strictly jihad's fault because i feel like a lot of times it's set up like that right I'm like sure. something you said in the in the in the statement you said was all of this is uh, i'm paraphrasing but it's like kind of an outgrowth of of what is jihad right it's like virtually if you trace back all the steps it's jihad's fault and i do think while jihad has definitely done his fair share of like questionable shit, uh, right? At least through the accounts that we get from certain people. And then the fact that he's declaring war, etc. Um, I don't know if all, all of it is to be blamed on Jihad for some of the personal choices, right? That people make in, in the confines of the story. Or well, no, I didn't societies. mean that like Jihad is the reason everybody, like all conflict exists in this story or world. 
but just that from all the points of conflict that involve jihad that we've gotten, like enough things cross intersect and, and like line up and, you know, that makes sense that like line and point to a certain kind of person, mm. right? It's not the same thing, like you said, as like sitting down in front of jihad and being like, what kind of person are you? But like, again, if one or two people are like, jihad's this kind of person, it's like, okay, that's one or two people. But like, if a lot more than one or two people all say things that line up in parallel to to the same kind of person with a certain personality, like it starts to become less, it starts to become harder to refute and be like, oh, well, maybe he's not like that. It's like, he's not the root of all evil, but he's probably a pretty like evil dude. He's probably a pretty messed up guy. Mm, Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I just, um, you're, Probably right. I just, I don't know. I just feel, I'm just curious. <laughs> I'm just really, that's what yeah, it is yeah, at the yeah. end of the day to hear it because the the majority doesn't always make something right, right? And just because there are accounts of people saying like, oh, like Jihad's been a dick, you know, like he's probably a dick. Again, I want to stress yeah. that. But I am curious to know what the, the nuances are because this is something, one of the things I most enjoy about Tower of God is a story are these sort of moral dilemma questions, which is personally why I liked that white question, right, with um, with Hots as an example, and a lot of the questions that are posed with that sort of um, theme. And so I am curious to know what Jihad's MO is here and what the other side of the story is, because we've always just gotten the side of the story from the people that have opposed Jihad and said, okay, what has happened here is that Jihad's done this, that, and the third, and these are bad things. And I'm just curious to know if there's another side to it to be like, okay, maybe this isn't so black and white. Like, there's a gray line here. And the other side has also done a lot of questionable shit. Like, I think FUG, as an example, even now, um, to take it in present time, has been an organization that has done some, like, incredibly shady shit and employs people like White, who has killed a billion people, right? Like, so there are definitely gray lines there and that doesn't exalt that doesn't absolve jihad of whatever sins he's committed but i am curious to know and i'm and i'm really curious to when we get to that point in the story how it is framed if they just show jihad as like the straight up bad guy and it's like easy as day to see like you know it does, i can have my eyes closed and still tell you that like obviously jihad's like the total wrong guy or if it's posed to be some interesting moral dilemma or like something that's beyond the understanding of what we have so far. And instead of just the accounts of people now, it's like, Oh wow. Now I got to actually think about this. Like, yeah, there's been some shady shit going on, but like, okay, what is the other side done? What was the reasons for whatever is what, like all those kind of questions I'm really curious to have answered in the final analysis. But anyway, that's my rant. (laughs) Good way, Gavin. Uh, death. No, no, no. <laughs> I wanted to add a little bit on that, and I do agree. Um, and I do think that's the way it's going to go in terms of gray area. And I do think there's more to jihad. For me, um, you're going to need to put on a pretty big song and dance in sort in terms of some explanation to um not excuse what has gone on, but for the mere fact that he is in power now and has the capability of changing things and doesn't. And you would have to have a pretty good, pretty big gun to his neck in terms of morality and you know um something otherworldly in terms of preventing him from doing this, because I guarantee you there are steps that he could take to make things better. And I feel like a lot of it is on him, but I do think that there is a big moral dilemma in it that we are going to find out that is going to make us think. However, I think it's almost impossible to excuse him for what has been done. And I think that is the big thing for me in terms of going with Isaiah was saying where it's like there, that is going to happen. Like we see that and it is going to be the reality of it, but I don't think it could ever possibly be so, 
justify. I don't think there could ever be justification for what he's doing. I'm not saying that's what you are. I'm not putting words in your mouth and saying that like that's what you believe in. But I just don't think that there literally is anything morality that you can justify like just in in general that could like bring anything to this. Um, and you know it is going to add layers and it is going to be something to look at and you know dissect. But it's like. Even now, it's you can't tell me that nothing can be done on these levels, and it, you know, at the end of it, it just comes has to come to the fact that it's not a care in his world, and just you know, with, I mean, you just see it with the whole hidden floor and the reason why that was created, and just separating himself from people, like it's there, um, but there are going to be more layers to it. But you know, either way, we'll find out more, and it is interesting, and that's the whole purpose of why we like the show. So you know, we all want to know more about jihad, and there has to be other layers. It's not black and white. Um, it's just really to what extent it goes to, but uh, we will find that out later. However, you guys all good to go? You're good, yeah. Number seven, Irene Charta. You're trying to give me a stroke, you know that? This is a, this is a lot. I'm, I'm just messing with you. I love you. This, like, you are one no, of you. Know, there, there's a reason why you usually have, like, at least one or two questions on here, pretty much every blog post, because you ask phenomenal questions, and sometimes they literally scare me because I am not in school anymore, and I don't want to be in school anymore. And these questions, bro, not only is it PTSD, but it's like, I feel like I'm just not good enough. Like, I need to bow to you because... Um, I don't pump his yeah, ego up too much. Bro, look at this question, dog. All right, I'm about to read this. All right, all right, I need to put on my big boy pants. You just repeated here. watermelon 500 times. What are you talking about? <laughs> watermelon, watermelon, watermelon. All right. So, Irene Sharda, thank you for the question. Or, I, I really don't thank you. No, I'm kidding. This is very similar to my previous question, but it pervades here even more. Uh, Kel states that what he wants is not to win the war, but simply to minimize chaos. To basically not rock the boat and to keep the status quo. We see that Soho... Um, also feels that the heroes don't stand a chance against Jihad and would rather them stay in stasis than even risk a chance against Jihad. Um, the people of uh, Duan's kingdom would rather sacrifice and betray their own rather, uh, rather than get rid of the peace they have out of fear of Jihad. Do you think this mindset could be one of the reasons that Fug has never truly progressed in their goals? That this feeling of hopelessness and intimidation is how jihad rules. Fug has basically been beaten into a state of um, complacency where they can resist but never progress. With war on the horizon, do you see this mindset changing? How do you think Bam might influence this way of thinking now that he's part of Fug again? That's my favorite question. <laughs> Jesus. I forgot about yeah. that question. It's a yeah. really good question. Yeah. 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 We're yeah. picking favorites. Like, you know, not to no disrespect to the other six, but that is. No, all right. Really well, if that's like, yours. So I will go on my favorite question. And that actually is, um, no, Gaming Creep. Gaming Creep was my favorite question. Yeah. And I've got to say, if you're still listening, Gaming Creep. No, hold on. All jokes aside, this is actually serious because um, there's validity with what he's saying. He said, I've been meaning to ask this question for a long time now. And here it goes. And for me, it's a name that we haven't seen before. And I feel like people who like, watch this and you may be holding back on questions really don't because a it is probably going to get shown up on here especially if it's a good question and you don't you might not know yourself if the question is warranted to be said but you will never know until you say that question and for me the fact that gaming creep did what gaming creep gaming creep did say the question for me it actually was one of my favorite ones because i had never thought about it that way as rudimentary as it may sound but just the fact that these two names exist and just the significance of them that it could have on bam for me that opened all, all another realm so i i do think if anybody's watching this and hasn't answered a question or may think that a question is stupid ask it because i guarantee you it is not we are going to answer it and appreciate it anyway back to my favorite question that Go was back. good though Go that was good it. gavin that, thank you yeah <laughs> all right 
Back to your favorite question, Isaiah. You were so you were so gung ho. I said back to my favorite question, but you're the one answering. First. I'm the one question. Okay, then I will. So I will t- I will take it down um, in in order. I'm gonna put the camera on you. Oh, oh my god. Okay. Um, so, do you think the mindset uh, could be one of the reasons that Fug has never truly progressed in their goals? Yes, I do believe that it is a reason why they have never truly progressed. However, I do think that there is a reason for said mindset, and that is given. Um, not only the loss that they have faced, but just the powerhouse that Jihad is and that you do need something special to, you know, upturn what has happened in the tower. And I do think that is where Bam comes in. However, without someone like Bam, I do see how I, I think that they have tried and have failed so many times that it has put them in a place where they don't know what to do. And that progression is hard. I'm not saying that's correct, um, but I do get the feel. Uh, that's the feeling I get from someone like Helen Soho. It's just like, you know, they're. they're They've been battered and beaten for literally thousands and thousands of years, and they just – it's its hard. You need someone to rip you out of that complacency to take that step forward, which is what I think BAM is. Um, and I do think the feeling that they have of hopelessness and intimidation plays a part in how Jihad rules because I feel like he is very self-aware to where he knows he has that upper hand over people just based off of the history and the power that he physically has. So he is able to use that um, to his advantage. Um, and you see rulers do that throughout history, and it has been done, and it very much seems like it is the case, at least in this tower, that it, it th- there is ties into that. Um so, yeah, Fug has been beaten to a state of complacency where they can resist but never progress. Um, so do you see this mindset changing um, in terms of, you know, a war progressing and being as complacent as they were? Yeah, that's kind of what I was alluding to before with BAM and as you did in, in the question you stated. Um, and I do feel like that is where BAM plays that role in with Fug in terms of um, he is the young guy on the block who is able to literally absorb all of this power and, you know, redistribute, like not, not redistribute it, but use it and apply it so well, a literal prodigy that literally, I mean, look at, look at, fucking, look at Kraka, you know, and seeing him adapt it like, he is able to turn mindsets of people who you really think they wouldn't be able to just based off of his raw power and um, innate ability to yushinsu and do these things. And it's very refreshing when you see somebody do that. It's like any master or anything that you see of any specific thing when they see a younger generation or a younger person able to pick up on these things, have an interest in it and strive forward and are hitting these landmarks. It doesn't matter how strong you are. You turn your eye to them and you pay that respect. And in many ways that inspires you as a person and is what could bring you after like, even say you hit your pinnacle or your self proclaimed self proclaimed pinnacle seeing younger people of a generation doing these things and making these feats that you might've thought were impossible tends to inspire you to even push your limits that you put on yourself unknowingly. Um, and I do feel like that is what BAM is to Fug in that these limits that Fug has play, placed on themselves in that complacency has been through what has happened from history and seeing BAM is going to give them faith again um, and hope pretty much. And that's going to allow them to um, really break through that glass ceiling and um, cause chaos or at least a war in which they pro- they might have a good chance of winning, which we don't know. Um, or you assume so, but who knows? Uh, yeah, and I think I scratched all those parts, and I will <laughs> toss the ball you to you. The strongest weapon of all, hope. Hope. <laughs> hope. Um, <laughs> yeah. This. Yeah. I. So first off, yes, a hundred percent. I. I abide and agree that this is Fug's biggest problem is that they have been uh, beaten, you know, quite literally into submission and into complacency for so long that. Jihad, quite frankly, again, at least until Bam was in the picture, 
was an op- a wall that was too high to climb. Like there was there there was nobody in Fug. There was nobody in the tower that could see life in the tower without Jihad being at the head. Whether they liked Jihad's rule or not, like quite frankly, it didn't matter because it's like okay, you don't like Jihad. What are you going to do about it? You're going to get over that wall. You see how huge that wall is. Like Jihad. I think, you know, we said this way back when we started, first talked about Fug, is that I don't think Jihad necessarily sees Fug as a threat right now because they're so large and discombobulated with themselves and all the different ideologies that encompass Fug that he doesn't have to worry about them unifying to attack him because them unifying is such a larger step that he probably doesn't even think they can do. And to be fair, until Bam's coming to the picture, and even with Bam currently in the picture— isn't really something to do. You know what I mean? This is such a, Fug is such a huge group. And so to get, if Fug, everybody who claims to be in Fug and, and is under that umbrella, all actually unified and rolled up on Jihad's doorstep, I damn do think they have a pretty good chance of getting into his room and maybe even dethroning him. But getting to that por- that that step of getting everybody in the same room and on the same page is the whole conflict here, just in all the other floors of the tower. That is 100% what has held Fug back, is that they're in this, this sense of hopelessness. It's like, okay, so what, though, if we get together? Like, so what if we get to Jihad's door? What are we going to do? Beat him? And it's like, you know, Bam is going to be the literal one, I think, that uh, comes in here and is like, yeah, <laughs> we're going to get in there. We're going to beat him, take him off that throne. And and I think the, the main thing, though, with Bam is that, and obviously why he's the main character, is it's not just going to be the fact that Bam is the probably one of the strongest characters in this story because a character that has the strength and grows at the rate Bam does but doesn't have the morals that Bam does already exists. That's Jihad, right? We don't need somebody who just has all these crazy powers and, and can do whatever he wants because that's that's the conflict. That's the problem. That's what we're trying to get rid of. But we need somebody who has that ability to physically oppose Jihad but also has the, mentali- the mentality and the moral system to defy and course correct what Jihad has going on here and be like, no, what you're doing is wrong and then coming to Fug and all these other you know people on all these different floors and being like, guys, uh, you know, again, it's one of my favorite sayings, but like, you don't lose when you get knocked down, you lose when you give up. If we, the only way we're going to dethrone Jihad is if we think we can. The second that we believe that there's no way to get to the top floor or the 140 or 34th floor, um, like, that's when we've lost. That's when he's beaten us, and he's beaten us without even having to leave his throne. So, like, that's, I think, is it's such a pinnacle of this story, to be honest, and it's such a huge theme that the story carries this idea of like, you need, like, hope is so important to keep alive in situations like this because, you know, Jihad wins if you lose hope, you know what I mean, before the fight's even started. This war is going to happen, and if Fug and, you know, Bam's allies and all these people, if we're not ready to fight, and sort of, again, it's interesting that we're having this in this arc because this whole idea with, um, you know, the the people that um, Doan is was with or is a part of and, like, those people versus, like, the uh, Tatara, like, the little kid, like, their mindsets, it's, like, if you're not willing, when this war happens, and it will happen, if you're not willing to, like, roll up onto the battlefield and die for your beliefs and die for what you think is right, like, then there's no point even fighting because you've already lost. Very well said. Um, I'm not going to even try and follow that up with some (laughs) profound statement. But, yeah, I do think that Jihad has beaten the spirit out of them, which is even more important than their physical bodies. And I actually relate some of this back to Gavin talking about his favorite question of the day and kind of inspiring people to say and asking them to ask their question regardless of how silly they think it might be or if it's not going to come across as well or if it's not going to get the most amount of upvotes or whatever. And it's like this on a super small scale, but I think it it does relate in the sense that you're never going to know until you try, right? And if you never ask that question, 
I could promise you we'll never read it because we'll never know it existed. So I kind of, on a on a weird scale, I do relate that to what Gavin was saying in in the terms of this question. Um, you know, the people have not tried on the on that level, and and I think uh, it takes it takes a lot of balls for somebody to throw the not to throw the first stone, but for somebody to be the first one to get up and probably die. You yeah. know, to get this thing going. Because uh, make no mistake, I'm not saying the second you get up and you make the decision to move forward, that it's going to be easy. That the world is like, oh my God, I was waiting for somebody (laughs) to do it. Here, the door's open. (laughs) It's going to be like, no, the world's going to throw all that nature has at you to beat you back down that hill. And so it takes a lot of courage. Just choosing to do it is the first step of a thousand mile journey, right? Like, so there are going to be some people that die, that get this thing going. And that's why you have to pay not to get too deep here, but that's why you have to just pay respect to those people in general that have paved the way for you to, you know, live the way that you do, or, or in the case of this story, to be able to have the hope to fight jihad and to think, wow, this actually might be possible, you know? And so I think that having, and now's their chance, right? Like the stars have aligned in the sense that sure. the Pobedo family is at odds with them now. There's going to be war there. Uh, not that they know of it, but Cheney's got her whole thing going on. The point is, is that like jihad, Man, as much Bam as exists. <laughs> Bam exists, yeah. So as much as Fug is disjointed, I don't mm. even know if they realize how disjointed potentially jihad side of it is oh, yeah. too, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's like they're not understanding that. Sometimes, like you know, if you're in in uh, you know playing a sport or in a fight or something like that, and you think you're like, wow, I am so freaking tired. And sometimes the person you know across from you can be looking at you with the most stern look in the world, and you're like, wow, they must not be feeling it at all but meanwhile the person with that stern look is like i hope he doesn't see that i am also dying (laughs) over here right and it's like if you if that person through their just fortitude and will even though they're tired is able to break you mentally in your spirit even though you guys are still equally as tired as one another that person's going to win because you're not going to have the will to fight anymore. You're going to think it's over, right? And so I think that's something similar that goes on here. Jihad's got his own issues going on right now, and I think they're finally going to come around, hopefully, to realizing that it's like, oh, this is the perfect shot to do this. Like, we're not going to get another one. We got this freak of nature bomb that's coming out (laughs) and is literally learning a new world-bending skill every 10 minutes um, and is actually not a bad guy. Uh, So there's that. There's going to be the war, like I said, with, like, Pobedo and all that kind of stuff. You know, one thing that I've realized with this kind of hammering on this point is, coming up to these chapters is that I always assumed that Jihad had this like tight fist grip on like the tower where it Mm. was like, that's, that's it. Like Jihad is the end, like Jihad is the end all be all. And we saw little cracks in that with Fug just as an organization, but I'm like, okay, this seems like some really small militia group that, you know, like at least at first that is like really not going to make much of an impact. And then we realized it was bigger and it's like, okay. And, gradually and gradually I'm realizing, and especially now that like, I don't think Jihad ever actually had full control over the tower in the sense that I thought he did in the beginning of this story. Yeah. He's the self-proclaimed King. And yeah, he's been molly the shit out of a lot of people that have opposed him. Nobody's dethroned him in that sense, but he doesn't have all the people unified under his rule, whether it's through fear or respect. I still think there's a lot of disjointedness that happens within the tower. And there's like, he's still it, like, it's almost like the war was never finished right from yeah, Genesis yeah. onward. It's just that Jihad has always been in the one to seem to be winning it right like he's been in the advantage so all that being said i think 
you might as well try <laughs> at this moment. And I and I do feel like that the hopelessness up. and intimidation and the fact that he's broken their spirit is what has provided the illusion that jihad has actually been just ruling with an iron fist this whole time and nobody's yeah. been opposing him. They just it's almost in their mind, right? So Which maybe tying back to one of the other earlier questions might be if that's that that's one of the reasons why I don't think that um that boss is jihad. Um, because I think whoever that person is might be trying to use the heroes as a way to like sort of reboost and reinvoke morale amongst people and be like, guys, this is it. These people are here now and they're re-willing to join this fight. Like we like you said, we don't have another shot at this. Like, let's go. You know what I mean? Mm. Um Yeah, very good question. For very sure. Good question. Did anybody have any other thoughts on this one? Good. I think I'm good. Good. Fantastic. All right. So that is our discussion for the day. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it because this was a really fun one to go over some great questions today. If you did, make sure you guys are smashing like for the YouTube algorithm so that other people can watch our video and subscribe and you guys can make new friends and so can we. It's really a win-win for everyone involved. Uh, subscribing to the channel, hitting that bell if you are new here, commenting your thoughts down below. What did you think of the questions posed? How would you have answered some of them? What did you think of our takes on some of them? Was there something we maybe glossed over or missed? Uh, let us know in the comments down below. Also, like I said, subscribe to AOA Reacts. The link is in the description down below so you can catch our live read-through of the chapters in question here and all of the previous ones to that and all the future ones uh, going on as well. You definitely want to do that soon if you're new here because we only have two, roughly, two or three live streams left before we totally catch up. So we're going to have to change the dynamic of how we make videos and live stream when it comes to Tower God at least. So you don't want to miss that. Be along for the ride. It's a fun time. Hit us up. That's the Twitch link that you want to hit up in the description down below because it's going to be exclusive to Twitch. Yes. You can catch the videos later on AOA Racks, like I said. Um, beyond that, like I said, join the Discord as well so you could pose these questions. As I said before, you don't have much time left to do it. Um, but yeah, so comment of the day. Does anybody have a question for anyone who's made it till the end of this video? Ooh, I have, uh, yeah, a little bit of a subjective one. Shoot. Uh, who is your favorite redhead in Tower of God? Thank you, mm. thank you. Obviously, no spoilers if we haven't if they're in like the last yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be rude <laughs> don't be rude <laughs> yeah that's a good one so answer who your favorite redhead is in this story uh and comment whatever you want to comment and we might just shout it out in our next tower of god discussion big shout out to our patrons as well especially our acolytes of anime stoic nathan and midduit we appreciate all of our patrons and definitely go check that out link in the description but uh i think that's all we got for you guys today until next time, we'll catch you all on the flip. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Peace. 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 Ninjas are samurais. Blazer the cool knives. Find me in the leaf of the cloud. Screaming out Bankai. We just some ghouls though. Who likes seeing parts fly? They like what you saying. Goma got more through the storylines. I tested your neck from the start. My hundreds gon' come for your heart. I promise you'll land in my boulevard. Left them in one piece. No.